Good evening. Church family, how are you guys doing? Uh, the baby said fine. Right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for who you are. And Lord, you load us daily with benefits. And Lord, you have given us everything we need for salvation. Lord, you've given us everything we need for life and that you've come that we'd have life and have it more abundantly. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, tonight, Lord, as we study your word, let it be exactly what you need it to be for us, Lord. Um, we know you love us. We know you got a plan for us. We know that you speak to us, Lord, in, in ways sometimes we don't fully understand. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you give us clarity, give us understanding, Lord. Give us insight, Lord. Lord, the mysteries of your word, Lord, let them come alive for us, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, teach the things we need to grab hold of in the days we live in, Lord. And, Lord, I pray as David prayed, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O oh, Lord, my strength and my redeemer, I do pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. If you have a Bible, please turn with us to 2 Kings chapter 19. 2 Kings chapter 19 is uh, we'll be looking at tonight. Um, as we've been studying Kings, verse by verse, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Can you lower my mic some, just a teeny? And as we study through the book of Kings, one of the things that you have to remember this is history. You know, you buy a history book and you get through, um, you know, you get one of those um, <laughs> books about the kings of Israel and the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. And this is history. This is world history. And in world history, you know, the Bible is part of world history too. You know, they try to make it something that's separate, that's not real. This is real. This really happened. These kings, there was a man named Isaiah. There was a man named King Hezekiah. This is the book of, this is the book. This is the word of God. This is truth. This is not a fairy tale. Amen? Amen. And God, history is his story, all right? You want to put it that way? And, but we are at the point where King Hezekiah and remember, Hezekiah's name means the Lord is my strength. We're at a place where this man has been tested, and we see his proven character. You know, we see his proven character. We see him in such a way, you know, D.L. Moody said that character is who you are in the dark. You want to know what your character is? Who are you in the dark? That's your real character. You know, Philip Brooks said that character is made in the small moments of our lives. It's interesting with these different, um, you know, Christians said of old, you know, about character. Um, J.P. Morgan said that, you know, that a man's best collateral is his character. And if a, if a man's best collateral is his character, Hezekiah had great collateral. And here we have before us this king. He loved the Lord. He loved the Lord. You know, in fact, in the last chapter, in 2 Kings 18, it said that he trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but he kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. He was a person that loved God's... Look, you can't love God and don't love his word. Amen. If you don't like reading his word, you don't want to read his word, you don't want to get up in the morning and read his word, you don't want to study the word, you don't want to be... You can't love God because you don't even really know him. So this man is not a man who depended on anything else except the Lord, especially at this particular time in his life, and it will show... Through and through, although he may have faltered some when he pays to Natchez this tribute. And I believe that Hezekiah in this chapter, he comes to a place where things begin to appear to be hopeless. And this is when he realizes that his only hope is in the Lord. Now listen, I don't know about you, but there are some times when you can just realize your only hope is in the Lord. 
And we too can depend on the Lord in those moments of disparity and hopelessness. And this chapter is a great chapter for any believer that loves the Lord. This is a great chapter for a believer to read this chapter, comb through this chapter, go through it over and over again. This is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Because it shows you like when everything is closing in on every side, we're, you know, perplexed and crushed on every side. And it, and it seems like you, you're against the wall, rubbing it all together. And it seems like everything is falling apart. Somehow the Lord comes through. Somehow the Lord comes through. When we can't do nothing else, the Lord comes through. You know, the end of chapter 18, that last verse, <clears throat> a real long verse, but it's a verse that leads into chapter 19. In chapter 18, the last verse, which is the 37th verse of 2 Kings, it says, Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shabner the scribe, and Joah the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of Rabshakeh. Rabshakeh, what a name. You imagine naming your kid that. Get in the house, Rabshakeh. <clears throat> so this is Rabshakeh. And it says, and so it was when King Hezekiah heard it, that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sadcloth, all these threats by the Syrians, and went into the house of the Lord. Now many times when people hear bad news, you know what happens? It triggers sinful thoughts. It can trigger sinful thoughts. You just got laid off. You know, I'm just going to go out there and just get me a drink. Be like, what? You're a Christian? Yeah, but I don't know. I just think some Hennessy will help me out right about now. Like, are you kidding me? And it can, bad news can trigger, and some people hear bad news and you'll find them in the bar, in the crack house, or that's what backsliding sometimes is triggered from bad news. He said, well, what's the use of following the Lord? Look at all this stuff happening to me. The same stuff that happened to me when I didn't know the Lord is happening to me now since I know the Lord. And I'm just, what's the use? Well, it's not really the same thing because the things we went through when we didn't know the Lord, we went through them by ourselves. But on the other side of that, because we know the Lord, he's with us in it. You know, Satan loves to taint your testimony and take the tang out of it. You know, he loves to take your testimony and say, oh, they thought they were a Christian. Look at them. When we have, you know, the, the, the problems we run into in life and they sometimes get you to a place where you don't know what to do. And let me tell you what you do. Run to the house of the Lord. You see people say, oh, you, well, I don't go to church no more. Well, I, I got a lot of problems going on. Really? Yeah, yeah the reason, well, I would go to church, but I got so much stuff going on. Satan is like, checkmate, gotcha. That's his whole goal to make us think that we should run from the Lord and run from the house of God and run from the people of God when we are faced with difficulties and, and things that are really, really, really look almost heinous things. And you start saying to yourself, how in the world should I follow the Lord? Why would I come to church after my husband just died? Or why would I come to church if I was diagnosed with this or that? Why would I come into the house of the Lord? And Hezekiah gets all this bad news. And the first thing he did, look, he covered him, he tore his clothes, covered himself with said cloth, and went into the house of the Lord. And that's what all of us should do. One thing I desire of the Lord that I may do well in his house. It says, then he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, Shabna the scribe, and the elders of the priests covered with sackcloth. Notice where he sends them to. This is a great thing, a smart thing. To Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos. Now, we know Isaiah had been a prophet for a long time at this point because Remember in Isaiah chapter 6, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. So after Uzziah, his son, Jotham was king. After Jotham, it was Ahaz. And now Hezekiah, 
So he lived through at least, we know, at least two kings, four terms. And we don't know how long he lived during the reign of, of Uzziah. But he lived, Isaiah been a prophet for a, a long time at this particular time. He's a man of God. He knows the Lord. And look, when you're in trouble, don't hang around people that don't know the Lord. My wife is going crazy. Leave her. That's not good advice. She's your wife. She probably think you're crazy too. Yeah. It says, and they said to him, this is these three men that came, Eliakim, Shabner, you know, and, and the priests, more than three, but the elders, the elders of the priests. And they said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy. For the children have come to birth, but there's no strength to bring them forth. You know, they're saying that the women are so hopeless that they are not even bringing forth children, you know, weary. And it says, it may be that the Lord, verse 4, your God, will hear all the words of, of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. They come in to Isaiah with this. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said to them, this is, you know, Eliakim, Shabna, the elders, and the priests, so forth. He says, thus you shall say to your master, meaning Hezekiah, thus says the Lord. Now forget what thus Rabshakeh and thus Sennacherib said, thus says the Lord, the word of the living God. Thus says the Lord, do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria has blasphemed me. This is the Lord speaking through Isaiah to these men. He says, do not be afraid of the words which you have heard. In Isaiah 51 verse 7, it's interesting Isaiah writes this in his own book, the prophetic book. Isaiah, great prophet called the prince of prophets. You know, some of the greatest Hebrew grammar in any book in the Bible is found in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah said in Isaiah 51, verse 7, Listen to me, you who know righteousness, you people, in whose heart is my law. Do not fear the reproach of men, nor be afraid of their insults, because we should never fear the threats of an enemy. The fear of man is a snare, it says in Proverbs 29, verse 25. We should never fear man. In Deuteronomy, it says, for the Lord God, he is who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Isn't that something? You know how somebody get in a fight? Two people get in a fight, and they, you know, out in the street, squaring up like this? Come on. Come on. And then one guy, he's scared to death to fight the guy that he's fighting because the guy's bigger than him. He says, but come on, because he's tired of him picking on him. Then almost the guy looked back and his big brother in the, in the way. Get out the way, come on. And, 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 and just knock the guy head off. Oh, the guy don't even fight him, he just start running, you know. God comes in and fights our battle. You know, David wrote, plead my cause, O Lord, with those who strive with me, fight against those who fight against me. In Psalm 35, verse 1, you should write that verse down. Fight those who fight against me. That's what David wrote. So Isaiah has an eternal perspective and a word from the Lord. And he says, do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria has blasphemed me, speaking God. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land. And I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. And please take note of this verse because it's going to be fulfilled exactly the way Isaiah said it would be as we move further along in this chapter. So God is telling these men through Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, to tell Hezekiah, chill out. Just chill. 
Remember he told Moses to tell the people before they crossed the Red Sea? You know, Moses said, don't be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, will you shall see no more forever. When you hear bad news, you know what you say? Hallelujah. <laughs> you know, you say, oh, hallelujah means praise Yahweh. Say, praise the Lord, Lord, this, the news I got, you know, they may have given it to me, but Lord, I really think that it belongs to you. It's not mine. Tomorrow, we want to speak to everybody on the job. We're going to be having a big pay, a big job cut. And you are scared to death. You say, Lord, you are in charge. Lord, you're in charge. It's easy in theory that when it all happens at the same time, you see. And verse 8, it says, Then Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he heard that he had departed from Lachish. And the king heard concerning Terhakeh, king of Ethiopia, looked, he has come out. He's coming out from the south against the Assyrian, the king of Ethiopia. History says that he was the third pharaoh of the 25th or Ethiopian dynasty of Egypt, the Kushites. You know, he was from, the, from, New, from Nubia, an area in ancient, in ancient world, you know, near the Nile, near the Nile Valley, south of Egypt, north of Sudan. This is who he was. He was a usurper who tried to later, he tried to um, um, legalize his assertion by marriage with the widow of the successor of um, Shabbataka. You know, he was just a weirdo. Egyptian scriptures state that he reigned 26 years and died in 664 BC. He was buried in Nura. His pyramid was 150 feet high. It was the largest pyramid that has been excavated, excavated rather, in Sudan year to date. So this is this man, Terheka, king of Ethiopia, to make war with you. So he again sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, notice, do not let your God in whom you trust. Notice that Sennacherib knew exactly what God, Hezekiah, trusted in. Deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard what, notice what he's saying. You have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands by utterly destroying them. And shall you be delivered? He said, you know what they did to all those other gods? Small g gods. Assyria was a superpower. Now listen to how God works in human history. God raises up Assyria. The Syrians destroyed all these other nations. They destroyed all these other nations. They have taken 41 of the cities of Judah at this point. And they destroy all these other nations. God only used them to destroy those nations who had all these false gods. And when you read history and you read about Jonah, Jonah goes to Nineveh. They repent. And for a hundred years, they were, you know, the nation was somewhat almost in good standing with God to some degree. And at 612 B.C., when God raises up the prophet Nahum... He pronounces doom and judgment against the nation of Assyria. And God raised up the Babylonians. And Nebuchadnezzar's father, who was part of the Assyrian army, he goes out to war one day, comes back, builds up a group of men, come back, breach through the wall of Nineveh. Nineveh wall, you could ride four horses and chariots side by side. They go break into Nineveh and they destroyed the Assyrians because the Assyrians, God used them as a chastening rod, but they went too far. They went too far. Like God said, I want you to chasten this. I want you to judge them. Then they start raping women, taking babies by the ankles and just splattering their skull. And they were just cruel. 
And when a nation is raised up by God to be a chastened rod, God raises up another nation to chasten them when they dishonor God's instruction. And the Syrians, they were a powerful nation. But they didn't know that he says, who shall be delivered? <laughs> and, and, and who shall be delivered? In other words, from us. Look, the word deliverer, deliverer is in the Bible 50, 594 times. And the God we serve can and will deliver us from our enemies. You believe that? You better believe it because he can. Great, you know, great deliverance he gives to his kings and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and who, to his descendants forever. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 18, he's a deliverer. Delivers from the evil one. You know, the disciples asked the Lord, teach us how to pray. He delivers from the evil one. How many of y'all been delivered from something you never thought you could be delivered from? Look, you get saved, you come to Christ, you get delivered. Immediately. I was out of my mind and got delivered immediately from all kinds of strange foreign things going into my body. And you thought you was high, and then you met Jesus. You said, oh, no, this is what you really mean by being high. <laughs> it says, verse 12, have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed? Gozan and Haran and Resif and the people of Edom who were in Telazar, hill or Asher it means, the city was near Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia, Haran and Mesopotamia, where the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, and the king of the city of um, um, Sarfinvian, Sarfian, Sarvian, Hina, Ivan, he's asking these questions. We defeated all these pagan nations. We defeated everybody. You think Nebuchadnezzar, you, 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 I mean not Nebuchadnezzar, you think Hezekiah rather? can stop us. We defeated all the nations everywhere we went, everywhere we were. The, you know, everywhere we went, nobody can stop the Syrians. You imagine them walking in any place that you said blood on their, their garments, their source was shiny, and they had blood on their source. And when they walked in, people would rather take their own lives than to face the Syrians. These were some bad boys. And so when they saying all of this in reality, in human reality, nobody could beat them. Nobody could beat them. And the names of all these pagan gods who were not truly gods, who could deliver anyone, they were only made out of wood and clay and metal. And we know that these nations, when they went to battle, they had loaded up their god on a cart. You know you got the wrong god when you can put them on a cart. Because he might fall and trip and you chip them all up. Imagine, there's my God, he's chipped all up. Let me get some, um, some gorilla glue or something. <laughs> but the God of glory we serve, he's the deliverer. He's the king of glory, the Lord strong in money, the Lord strong in battle. That's the God we serve. Not the super glue, gorilla glue, glue God. God, you know, we, we serve the living God. Not made with man's hands. All the gods that the Syrians thought they defeated was made with man's hands. And God was just using them to purge those nations of all those gods. Who can make war against our God? That's the question you wake up and ask yourself. Who can make war against our God? Who can make war against our God? You know, when we get to, you read the whole Bible. You know, the Bible should be one huge narrative. From Genesis to the revelation of Christ. And you know, during, you know, the church one day will be raptured, you know, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 17, will be raptured, will be taken. Then it ushers in what most call the day of the Lord, when Jesus takes the steering wheel of human history. It's called the day of the Lord. You know, he starts, judgment starts. When we get raptured, you know, you read the, the revelation of Christ, the church age, you know, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4 and 5, they taken up to heaven. Chapter 6 in Revelation ushers in what we call the tribulation. Some say by the time Moses and Elijah, the two witnesses, are martyred in front of everybody, that ushers in what they call the great tribulation. I think it's all the great tribulation. But in all of that, through all of that sequence of events, 
In chapter 19, in the Revelation chapter 11, it says that now and I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. He's the aggressor. He makes war. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming, the second coming of Christ. We'll be right behind him on white horses. If you don't know how to ride a white horse, you'll learn. And I think these are flying horses because we're going to be in the air coming downward. You know what I mean? Imagine coming down on a horse. I would just love that, you know. <laughs> and you don't think our God has the reason why I'm pointing that out is because we know that our God is greater than any other God so why do we worry about the enemy no weapon formed against you shall prosper not if when the enemy comes in like a flood the Lord our Lord will lift up a standard against them No weapon formed against you shall prosper. If God be for you, who can be against you? No one. And notice what it says in verse 14 of 2 Kings chapter 19. And Hezekiah received the letter. This is the letter from Sennacherib. Essentially saying, if I beat all the other nations and their gods, what makes you think that I want to do the exact same thing to you and your God? But the only thing he had wrong in that letter, and it doesn't give us the details of everything he said, is that it's a difference between pagan nations, small G God, and our God, the big G God. That's the only thing he got kind of confused. And God was only using them for a, a, a vessel. This is a vast difference between the gods made with man's hands and then God Almighty, the Lord of hosts, the creator, the one who spoke the world into existence, the one who breathes breath into our nostrils and we become living beings, the one who opened the Red Sea and destroyed Pharaoh's army, the one who can count the stars. He knows them. He knows them all. By name, he knows the hairs on our head. You know, the God who defeated every army that ever came up against him. He's a billion and zero. He never lost. So what's your record, God? I don't have to keep record because nobody can beat me. So Hezekiah received a letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. Notice Hezekiah read this letter. He says, and went up to the house of the Lord. When, he, when Hezekiah first heard this news in verse 1, he went into the house of the Lord. After he receives this letter, he goes back into the house of the Lord. Hezekiah knows that it is his, his fellowship with the Lord, not the house itself. There's no magic in the house. There's no magic in the bricks. But your communion with the Lord every day. There's no magic in coming to church. Unless you got communion with the Lord. You can come to the house of God and never know the God of the house. And leave the house of God and still empty because the God of the house is not living through you. There are those who only come to the house of God when they have trouble. And yet, you know, before trouble, they, they never had fellowship with the Lord or his people. They don't want nothing to do with God. There was, you know, one guy called them 911 Christians. God, please help me. And imagine if God always teased people, you know, but it's not real. But if God did do this, it would be trouble. Imagine if you call heaven and somebody answered, hello, I, I, I need to speak to God. I got something going on. Hold on. I got a few questions, a questionnaire for you. Well, when the last time you've been to church? I, I, I have been, I've been there a long time. What you asked me all this for? When the last time you read your Bible? Well, I don't really read that. Bleep. You know, when the last time <laughs> you came to a prayer meeting? Well, I got stuff going. Beep. You know, hold on, please. Imagine if God treated us like that. He won't. Even when we make him the last resort. He still loves us. He knows that we're limited and that we only dust. 
and he still cares for us. So he went up to the house of the Lord. Hezekiah had a good, I, I love Hezekiah. Look, and spread it. Now what is the it here? Is that old letter. He just calls it it. Before the Lord. You get bad news? Lay it between you and the Lord. I say, Lord, I can't really handle this. It has my name on it, but the wrong address. This belongs to you. This belonged to you. I know what they said. I know what the doctor said. I know what the lawyer said. I know what the, you know, the foreclosure people said. I, I know all these things. I know all these things, Lord. I have all the information right here. They sent it to me, but it's the wrong address. It got my name on it, but it belongs to you because you can, you're the only one that can do something about it. You can't fix your marriage, you can't fix your children, you can't make people act right at work, you can't fix your friends. Only God can do things that we can't do. And we waste our time trying to fix things that we, don't, we cannot fix. You waste your time. People get frustrated trying to fix. We're not the Holy Spirit. I could never change Charlene. I'm not going to, I can't, it's impossible. I tried too many years. Don't work. She don't listen to me. And you, and you think about for years and years, you just come and you say, ah, oh, they got to change. They must be this. You say, put them before the Lord and say, Lord. And by the time you put them before the Lord, he knows getting changed, you. You getting changed. Hezekiah walked away from this being changed. God didn't change his circumstances exactly the way Hezekiah wanted him to change his circumstances. He would change his circumstances. But God, somewhere he allows trouble to happen in our lives at times because he said, I want communion with you. You would have never came and prayed to me like this if this would have never happened. You would have never came to me if you didn't find out you was getting laid off or you didn't, you would have never, you would have never prayed to me. You would have never sought my face. And he said, oh, I'll use circumstances to get your attention because I want you. I love you. I love you. I love the words of that old hymn by Joseph M. Um, Scriver. It was a poem. It was written in 1855 to comfort his mother who was living in Ireland while he was in Canada. And Shriven originally published the poem anonymously and only received full credit for it in 1880. And the tune and to the hymn was composed by Charles C. Converse in 1868. And the words to the song, we all know the song. The song is really a good song for people that struggle with prayer. He says, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit, all oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble everywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take you to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows every weakness. Take you to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take you to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee. Take you to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he shall take and shield thee. Thou wilt find, thou wilt find a solace there. Everything we have, you take you to the Lord in prayer. It changes everything. You on your knees, Lord, I know you got this. And then we get on our knees and we say, Do we got, and we tug a war with God. You got it, but give it back, Lord. Hold it, hold it, Lord. I know you said you had it. Give it back, hey, Lord. I got it. And he says, I have it. My yoke is easy. My burden is come unto me, all you labor in every lane. I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And we say, oh, Lord, I just, Hezekiah took that letter and laid it down. We take the letter, lay it down, walk away. Give me this letter back. I want this problem. I'll handle it. And we don't understand sometimes, as the Lord is saying, let me tell you something. 
I don't need your help when you give it to me. I just need you to bring it to me. Cast all your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you and not allow the righteous foot to be moved. You know, Psalm 55 verse 22, cast all your burdens on the Lord. That's before Peter wrote, cast all your care on the Lord because he cares for you. The psalmist wrote, cast all your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. Y'all believe that tonight? Amen. You believe that there's not a problem that God can't fix? Amen. And the only thing that gets in the way is us most of the time. Because we don't think he worked fast enough or something. And notice this is, then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord. Not man or taking a census from the people. What should we do? You know, people say, what should we do? You heard what the Syrians doing it. Let's get a group discussion. Should we go up and fight? You know, he didn't do none of that stuff. It says he prayed before the Lord. That's Yahweh, Jehovah, and said, and this is the prayer starting um, here up to verse 19. O Lord God of Israel. Jehovah Elohim, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, the angels, you are God, you alone, and all, all, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. And here's the supplication portion of the prayer in verse 16. He says, incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib. He put the enemy names right in the prayer which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and the lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods but the work of men's hands, wooden stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, this is the prayer. Therefore, O Lord our God, I pray, save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. Because Psalm 86 verse 10 says that for you are great and you do wondrous things, you alone are God. Elohim, you alone are God. Jehovah Tiskanu, Jehovah Shema, Jehovah, you know, whatever you want to call him, El Elyon, Adonai, you know, Jehovah Megan, Jehovah Selah, you know, Jehovah Jireh, you alone are God. He's God all by himself. Do you believe that? That's where we struggle with. When we have hardships and hard times, do we believe that he's the God? that can carry us home. You know, even for believers, when we die, we just sleep. It says they sleep. Then Hezekiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, seemed like he was in his prayer closet. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, because you have prayed, and he wasn't there when he prayed. Hezekiah was praying somewhere else. Isaiah says, because you have prayed to me, to God, Against the Netherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. Now this is interesting because Isaiah wasn't there when he was praying. That's how you know he was a prophet. Remember Elijah was giving them all the information about the Syrians before? Well, he said, I knew about them when they were talking in their bedroom. I know about everything, every strategy that they had. I knew all about it. And this is how we know Isaiah was a prophet. It says, this is the words... This is Isaiah speaking, which the Lord has spoken concerning him, meaning Sennacherib, who was mocking God, now God is mocking him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, this is Jerusalem, which was a virgin in the sense that the Syrians would not come into. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has spoken, I mean has shaken rather, her head behind your back. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high against the Holy One of Israel? You know this is Isaiah because he says the Holy One of Israel more than anyone in the Old Testament. By your messengers you have reproached the Lord and said, now he's going to say that Sennacherib and the Syrians were saying in their hearts, not out loud, but in their hearts, by the multitude of my chariots, have come up to the height of the mountains. 
to the limits of Lebanon. I will cut down its tall cedars and its choice cypress trees. I will enter the extremity of its borders to its fruitful forests. I have dug and drunk strange water, and with the soles of my feet I have dried up all the brooks of defense. Now this was the boasting and bragging of the kings of Assyria. How great they were. You ever see somebody talking about how great they are? You tried it if you want to. You'll be Belgian feathers like Nebuchadnezzar. He says, did you not hear long ago? Now God is asking Sinatra requested. Did you not hear long ago how I made it from ancient times that I formed it? Now that I brought it to pass that you should be for, notice, for crushing fortified cities into heaps of ruins. God is simply telling Sinatra that he is the one who raised him up to be the chastening rod to Israel and the cities of Judah only as an instrument. And when you read Isaiah chapter 10, verse 16, you'll realize what he's saying. And he says, therefore, the inhabitants had little power. God is saying that the only reason why Sennacherib had victory over the inhabitants of the land was because he made them great for that very purpose. Therefore, their inhabitants had little power. They were dismayed and confounded that they were as the grass of the fill and the green herb as the grass of the housetops and grain blighted before, it's, for it, before it is grown. God is saying that he only used the Assyrians as it were in verse 12 so that he could prove that all the gods of the other nations were futile and useless. You know you got the wrong God if you can carry it. Or you can smoke it. You know that. So the Syrians did, did serve a purpose, but God was behind all of it. He was in charge. So they didn't have nothing to boast about, and they overdid it. He says, but I know you dwelling place. That's scary. You're going out, and you're coming in, and your rage against me, because your rage against me and your tumult have come up to my ears, therefore I will put my hook in your nose. I don't think anybody ever want God to tell me going to put a hook in your nose. And my bridle in your lips, not around it, you're going to shut them up, he's saying. And I will turn your back by the way which you came. Now the Syrians were known for putting hooks in people's noses. So they knew exactly what he was talking about. And they would catch people captive and gouge their eyes out. They were ruthless guys. Now God speaks to King Hezekiah and to the nation of Judah. Look what he says in verse 29. This shall be a sign of you. You shall eat this year such as grows of itself. And in the second year, what springs from the same, also in the third year, sow and reap, plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. And the remnant who have escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward, for out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and, and those who escape from Mount Zion, notice, the zeal of the Lord of, of hosts will do this. You know, in Isaiah 37, he says it like this, for out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and those who escape from Zion, the zeal of the Lord shall do this. He's saying the same exact thing. This is what Isaiah was telling Hezekiah and Judah, who were at this time surrounded by the Assyrians. They were surrounded by their series. They were all around, over at least 185,000 soldiers. Can you imagine 185,000 soldiers waiting for us outside? And they said they're going to get us when we get out there. You know what all of us would do? Well, we're just going to be here a long time. <laughs> we're going to be here a long time. <laughs> And this is God, they surrounded them, you know, they surrounded them. They couldn't go in, they couldn't go out of the city. But God says through Isaiah, this year and the following year, they were to eat what was left growing in the fields because they couldn't plant during this time because of the Syrian army. The Syrian army has surrounded them. But in the third year, they will be back in the process of sowing and reaping. Isn't that amazing? And God is letting them know that the army... 
that is encamped around them is not going to stop this from happening or occurring. No one can stop or frustrate God from fulfilling his word. No one can do that. Always remember that. We can trust God's word. He is our substance. You know that? David said, I once was old and now I'm young. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Not even his descendants. He would not leave us uncared for, even, you know, even in the worst circumstances. And we can trust the Lord with all of our hearts. And it will help you not lean towards your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him. And it will help you right on out. Because the, the more you don't have nothing else left but God, it makes you not lean towards your own understanding pretty clear. You hear people say this all the time. I don't know what the Lord is going to do with this because I didn't try everything. Good. It's a good place to be. And then it says in verse 34, thus, Therefore thus says the Lord concerning the king of, of Assyria, He shall not come into the city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound, mound against it. And this is not a word for the skeptic. This is not a message for the pleasing of our rationale here. This is the hand of God defending this city and his people. Not one arrow... There may have been at least 60,000 archers along with 185,000 ready to draw the bow. 60,000 men like this with their bow drawn, God says, not one arrow. And you're looking through a peephole, are they still out there? They all waiting. <laughs> you ever had somebody after you when you was in school? They said, you come outside for recess, and you're like, you come on out if you want to. Are they waiting for you? When you get out of school, meet me on, a, especially at Vox, meet me on the 23rd side. You know, we, I ain't going out to 23rd Street side. You run the other way. You go home the long way. And they out there waiting, 185,000 in all. It says, by the way that he came, by the way shall he return, and he shall not come into this city, says the Lord. Isaiah is the same prophet who wrote, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. He says, for I will defend this city. I love that. To save it for my own sake. And for my servant David's sake. And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord, not an angel of the Lord, this is the angel of the Lord, went out and killed in the camp of the Syrians 185,000. And when the people rose in the morning, there were corpses all dead. Could you imagine this all started with Hezekiah praying? Saying, this guy trying to mock you, God. Trying to make fun of you, Lord. It's all in prayer. Do you believe that you can pray and say, Lord, David had a prayer in Psalm 109. It's called in the practicatorial prayer. He says, let another one take his office. Let the kids be vagabonds. I don't mean go that far, but you can pray for your enemy. And say, Lord, they mocking you, Lord. I'm your child. They mocking you. They're making a reproach of who you are, Lord. Lord, stop them. Stop them. They're evil. Remember this evil person started something with us once and fell out. Never made it to the place they were trying to go. We prayed all night, Lord, stop them. He can stop them. He can change the circumstances because of his kids. When we get on our knees and pray, he can change the government because of us. He can change the world because of us. Ezekiel 22 verse 30 says, I saw the man, one person that was standing in the gap for the nation, and I didn't find any. We could stand in the gap and pray and say, Lord, Look what they're legislating in the school and teaching our kids. Look at these things, Lord. Look at the things we see that we despise. We don't like them, Lord. We don't like these things. And they're, not, and they are, and they are mocking you, God. 
and against you and only you as they is this grave grievous sin that they have that they marketing and almost people in, in, in the church, even some people call themselves Christians, uh, go along with all the things that are wicked and evil. Lord, they mocking you, Lord. And we don't like nobody making fun of our God, Lord. Lord, you step in. And you don't think the Lord could hear that? I really believe he could. I really believe God could. If we just start saying, Lord, we're your people. We're called by your name. We're humbling ourselves. We're seeking your faith. We're turning from our wicked ways. You can heal this land. It doesn't have to be violence and gun shootings in Philadelphia, Lord. You can stop it. And you don't think the Lord could hear that? I believe he can. Isaiah and Hezekiah, two godly men who trusted in the Lord, not in their circumstances, but the God of heaven, the king of glory. Two men, a prophet and a king. A godly king that loved the Lord. A prophet that loved the Lord. You only need two godly people, just two godly men standing in the gap. And God destroyed 185,000 Assyrians who were surrounding the walls of Jerusalem. Don't tell me he can't do it. It's in the word. Unless you don't believe God's word, he can move for us. You have to believe that. And it says, so Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, and remained at Nineveh. Nineveh, a city that once repented and, and turned to the living God. You remember in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10? But now serving, they're serving um, um, Nisroch. This is what they serve now, a false god, probably connected with the Hebrew word Nasher, an eagle. Nisroch is an Assyrian god, supposed to be um, that which represented, you know, with a head of an eagle and so forth. Sennacherib would go, would be killed in the temple of this idol. And you, know that, and you know that you have the, the wrong God if you can fly away from him. It says, now it came to pass as he, speaking of Sennacherib, was worshiping in the temple of Nisroch. This is the Nineveh God. His God. Notice nothing could ever come good out of worshiping the wrong God except death. You know, a dead God can only lead to death. He can't give you life like our God, who is the only God and the true living God, the Lord of lords, King of kings. He's awesome. He reigns forever and ever because earthly rulers and kings, they come and go. So it says that Sennacherib was worshiping Nisroch, his God, that his sons, now we know he has at least three sons, is Adram Malik. Adram Malik, which means Adir's king, Adram Malik was also the name of a pagan god in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 31, where it says, you know, the Avites made Nimhaz and Tartak and so forth. And this god here, they burnt their children in the fire of um, Adram Malik, some god. The Talmud taught that this pagan god was in the form of a donkey. You know you got a bad god as he looked like a donkey. It says that his son, Adram Malak, Amalak, 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 and um, Sherezer, which means he has protected the king, struck, down, uh, struck him down with the sword. His own sons did this. This was December, in December, in 685, and 681 BC, on December, in December, in the winter. They struck him dead. And they escaped into the land of Ararik. Notice, then Asher Hatton, who's mentioned at least three times in the Bible, Ezra, um, Ezra 4.2, I believe, and in Isaiah 37.38, he's mentioned. Ezra Hatton, his son reigned in this place. But from this place, uh, you know, Ezra Hatton, would, Ezra Hatton would become the most powerful of all the Syrian monarchs. He would come be a powerful one. And isn't this you know, irony to see that this king mocked God and God's people 
And Isaiah said, no, he's going to be struck down. He got struck down by his own sons. His own sons. While on the other hand, the nation of Judah was protected by the word of the Lord. Two men just praying. And God came in and smoked 185,000. Just two men praying. Just two men saying, Lord, Lord, this is all wrong, Lord. How can somebody mock you? You're a good God. And he said that thus says Sennacherib. <laughs> Where is thus says Sennacherib now? You know anybody that's an Assyrian? There's no Assyrians. You don't know nobody that's an Assyrian because there's none. They were obliterated by the Babylonians. One of their own generals, Nebuchadnezzar's father. Look, you're here tonight and you're struggling. You say, I'm struggling. I've been praying to the Lord and nothing happened. Nothing happened. I don't know. Wait on the Lord. I was reminded we was waiting for a building or something once. We prayed at this school building that, y'all don't know about this. We used to go on Thursday nights. It was a group of us. Maurice, remember? We used to go to Allegheny and Oyuk Road. And it was a group of guys. We used to stand out there and pray. And we said, Lord, we wish we had that school building. It took God 18 years to answer that prayer. 18 years. 18 years he answered that prayer. And we forgot we even prayed it until we got into a building and said, oh, we did pray that, didn't we? That's how God does it. Don't be microwave Christians. Be the crockpot ones. <laughs> you want God to do something right now. Don't always happen that way. But we can say, Lord, you read Psalm 70. You know, you go home tonight and you read Psalm 70. It says, make haste, God. Make haste. Make haste, Lord. You know, go home and read it. Psalm 70. Make haste. And ask the Lord. Sometime you got to ask the Lord. Lord, you got to come now. And he will hearken to our cry. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand up as we pray. Let's give the Lord a big hand tonight if you love the Lord. He's, God is good. He's going to answer those prayers. You always want it. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your prayer of Hezekiah, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we could pray, Lord, and realize, Lord, that you can answer our prayers. Lord, we often don't come to you in prayer. We often don't even think of you as the one that could answer every single thing that we struggle with, that we go through, Lord. And you're the God of Israel, Lord. And you're alone, our God, Lord. And Lord, we ask that you hear our cry, hear our cry. Lord, open up your eyes for us, Lord, and see, Lord, and hear all the words of the enemy that comes up against us to reproach you, our living God. Truly, Lord, Lord, you are the one who can lay waste anything in our lives, Lord, and cast it out far from us, Lord God. And we know that everything apart from you is the works of man's hands, Lord. And we ask that you destroy those things around us, Lord. And Lord, we pray, save us from the hand of all these things that try to destroy us, but at the same time try to mock you, Lord. That all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God. And you alone are God. For you are great and you do wondrous things. You alone are God, Lord. And so, Father, open up the doors and the windows of heaven for us, Lord. That we can see you do great things, Lord. And use us to do great exploits, Lord. To do things that we could never thought, think we could do, Lord. And, and be used by you and bring your name glory, Lord. Get us out of ourselves, Lord. But let us seek the one who sits on high, but can come meet us down low. We love you, Lord. We know you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we pray in Jesus' name, and we mean the great name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's sing this last song together. Amen.